The reading you just heard actually is a sermon that Moses was giving to the Israelites as he prepared them to enter the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. How good does that sound? You see, this sermon he was giving, though, was entitled, it was about the greatest commandment, or the first commandment, and he was reminding the people that first commandment to love the one true God with all their heart. And I just thought that was really interesting. In this moment, there's a blessing about to be given. They're about ready to go across the Jordan, a promise of God's that will be fulfilled. That's why it's called the promised land. And yet here is Moses issuing a warning. And these blessed receivers get this powerful testimony. You see, this warning includes instruction and clarity on the roles and responsibilities that the Israelites now have as the receivers and now as the stewards and the caretakers of this promised land. Land they don't deserve. Land they didn't earn, but was a gracious and generous gift of God. So as we sit here and they're about ready to cross the Jordan, the the question is out there. The question hanging in the balance is, what kind of managers or guardians are the Israelites going to be? Are they going to use this gift of the promised land to glorify God, the good giver? Or are they going, and are they going to share in this blessing and be generous like him and live prosperously by his will and command the beautiful laws that he's given him? Or are they going to squander it? Are they like their parents did, those Israelites that came out of Egypt? Are they going to fail to trust God who has been so generous to them? You see, Moses is giving this reminder because he knows that with every blessing, there is a shadow. Moses knows that the heart of man can go many different ways. And he knows that despite all the blessings of the land that flows with the milk and honey, there too, temptation is found. You see, the promised land is the land of the Canaanites. And Moses is not naive about the lure of Canaanite religion. Abominations is the word that the Bible uses as they do abominations to the one true God and they even have them as sacred practices in their religion. And unfortunately gives this warning because he knows and remembers the propensity of the Israelites to stray. He remembers them making a golden calf right after they were delivered. He remembers them worshiping other gods and falling into sexual temptation as one of their main ones, but so many others. So frankly, he sees people he loves heading off beyond the Jordan River to a place where temptation will not diminish, but potentially multiply. It'll get harder and worse. This made me think of another group of God's people. Another group of God's people who very generously have received a promised land where we too can prosper. I think you know who I'm talking about. The same question remains for our generation. Are we going to share in the blessing, be generous like him, and live prosperously by his will and command? Are we going to fear, love, and trust God above all things? Or are we going to squander 
the amazing blessings that have been given to us. Well, each generation since the Israelites has certainly struggled with this responsibility in their own way, I do wonder, as I get older, if each aging population looks at the next coming one and asks this question, are they going to be the ones that squander it all? Another way to say this that God's put on my heart, a statement I take very seriously, is knowing that phrase that we all drink from wells we didn't dig, what if our generation stops digging? What if we are the ones that leave nothing, or at least nothing good and godly for the next generation? What if we follow the ways of the world and not the generosity called of us by our Father God? What happens if that's where we are where it stops? What I mean by this is when I look at things that matter to God, which is exactly what we're doing in this sermon series, I'm a big history guy. And I know there's plenty of brokenness strewn about history, but I see a lot of historical evidence of generations before us that took the things that matter to God very seriously. They took God himself seriously. They took church seriously. They took marriage seriously. It was a covenant with God. They took community seriously, taking care of one another. They took serving seriously, and they took generosity and giving of themselves very seriously. You may be thinking this, and no, not all of the people of the past have been good at this. And not perfectly ever or by any means, but there is no denying the fact that the ground we stand on or sit on right now was paved by others before us that took these things seriously. And that's especially true here at Messiah, and that's why we take these things seriously. I've talked to people that have been here at Messiah since before I was born, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. They know how we got here, and they know how God worked through generous hearts to make it so you and I could hear the word of God today. And as I look at some of the trends as a result of influences all around us, I worry about the temptation that we all face in these other things that are called important. They're not the same things that are necessarily important to God. And I see a powerful force at work in us causing this to happen, leading us down a road that puts other matters before God and his church. And the more I interact with people and their hardships they're going through, I realize if we don't take things that matter to God seriously, if we don't look to God to shape our hearts and the hearts of our children, the world will shape it instead. And then we look back and go, what happened? If you were to sum up Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 14, it would be Israelites, who is going to have your heart? Who is going to have your heart and the heart of your children? The generous God who has given you the promised land or the promised land itself and what it offers? Are you going to worship the giver or the gifts, as Dustin would say? While there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle, I've found one culprit, one idol that the Bible and Jesus talk specifically too often. Martin Luther wrote a lot about it. It's a, it's a big temptation, but why it means a lot to me is because I have, per, I have experienced with this that was very powerful. You see, I have spent time in my past trying to serve two masters, God and money. I tried for many years. If you ask me what my life goal was in my 20s, I would have told you my life goal is to never have to worry about money ever, which isn't a bad goal. 
But the problem is, the way I was going about that was I wanted to get rich. As soon as I have X amount of dollars, or I, as soon as I make X amount as my salary, I won't worry about money anymore, and then my life can begin. That is where I thought my life would begin, and I was tragically, tragically long, and by God's grace, he had different plans for me. But that's why when I hear that 70% of Gen Z wants to be rich, and 50% of them want to be famous, by the way, my heart breaks. You see, with this perspective, with these types of goals that, that I see a lot of young people having, it led me on a roller coaster ride of ups and downs that I called my life. And I was able to experience a learning that happened the hard way. During this period of time, I was completely broke. And then I made a bunch of money. And I eventually realized through the pain of both highs and lows a lot about God and a lot about myself. The good news is that through the whole time of this roller coaster ride, God was pulling me to him. He was drawing me near, and, and I would go to him. Usually during the lows, I kept praying, please, God, help me out. Some good news that came of it was, for, for whatever reason, he was drawing me to this place. He was drawing me to Messiah as I was going through all of this. I was able to hear the preached word of God. I was able to hear his words of forgiveness that, we, that Pastor Dustin spoke earlier on God's behalf. I was reminded of my baptism. I came to the Lord's table. I was engaging in a Bible study. And that's why, if you didn't see last week, you need to get in a life group when we start those off. To me, I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing, but what was actually happening was God was transforming me, and he was shaping my heart. A real quick story. One of the ways he manifested this was when we began a campaign here at Messiah called Forward in Faith. Some of you remember it. It was before the one we're in right now called Built by Faith, which I get to help with. And I received a pledge card right where we're sitting, and Janae and I, my wife, um, we prayerfully, with, uh, as Pastor John asked all of us to prayerfully consider, giving beyond our usual giving. And to, uh, this would be to the campaign. It would help us build the new school that we now enjoy, um, the cafe that we all enjoy, the rooms we all enjoy. Um, it was going to be a, a huge blessing to Messiah, and God was calling to, to, uh, us to do that very clearly. And so, um, as he told us, we prayerfully thought about it. And uh, I have to say, at the time, I had no idea I was going to be a pastor here. I had no idea I was going to have three kids in that building. I had no idea any of that. Um, in fact, though at the time I was psychotically counting every penny coming and going, for some reason I decided, with Janae's prayerful support, that we were going to double our giving. We were going to give the same amount as we do to the church generally, uh, and we were going to do the same amount to the campaign. I need you to know that in no way should this impress you, and in no way did I feel like I was being generous when this happened. It just felt like something God was calling us to do. Frankly, there wasn't a lot of reason to it. I didn't do the math. I just, that's what he wanted us to do. It seemed great until I changed jobs, and I had another child. They needed daycare. I don't know if you've heard. It's not cheap. <laughs> money just got tighter and tighter. And though my goal was not to worry about money, my wife can tell you, I not only became all I thought about, but it made me into a person I didn't want to be at times. It made me the weakest version of myself I've ever been, and I still cringe when I think back to it. 
And as things got tighter, I turned off our automatic giving. I'd set up my campaign gifts to just give automatically per month. And as things got tighter, I was looking for money everywhere I could. And, of course, I turned that off. And it was great because it was out of sight, out of mind. No big deal. That is until my dear friend Eric Borgmeier does what he does. And he sent me a statement in the mail that told me I owed him over $1,000 towards my pledge. You see, if you knew how much we needed and you knew how much we had in the bank, you would have thought us crazy when we wrote that check. Several months had gone by, we'd forgotten about it, and the the promise we'd made came due, and Janae asked me if I was sure we could make it work, and I promise you I said, no, I am not sure. But it was an act for us to prayerfully trust God would find a way through it and we would be able to keep our promise. I had no idea how he was going to do that. And I mean this when I say this. I was not planning on winning the lottery the next day. I just knew it was something that we had to do. And I'm pretty sure Eric can tell you when I handed him that check. It was the first time we met and now we're good friends. I just pulled back a little bit. And he said, are you sure? And I said, no, I'm not sure, but take it before I change my mind. Some of you probably have similar stories. I heard several this morning, but I have to tell you something. That was the scariest day of my life. This was actually where I look back and in a way my life began. I have never trusted God more than in that moment. It was a moment of surrender that I didn't realize at the time, but God was working in Janae and I, and I cannot describe it, but I look back on it now and I see God's fingerprints all over it. When we pray the prayer King David prayed in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, we usually are looking for the quick fix option. And in this case, this was the long and hard option of of creating a clean heart. A lot has happened since then, and obviously I'm standing here, so God had a plan and provided for us and what we needed, but it was not easy. And I know that sometimes the next part of the story is, hey, what we needed showed up the next day, and this really wasn't one of those stories. And those do happen, and I'm always glad when God shows up right on time. But I can tell you, starting on that day, my views on money, generosity, God, his church, calling, contentment, and taking care of what he's given me completely changed. You see, God was working to dethrone money and anything else from my heart, and he was doing it so he could take his rightful place on it. So when I, as your pastor now, his whole plan that I had no idea was going on, when I tell you that giving is an act of worship, when I tell you that it is returning a portion to God and his church from all that he's given you, when I, when I am saying it is a heart-transforming activity, when I say it is actually a gift a gift of opportunity God gives us. I am saying that as someone who has been on his knees praying to God over a check that that portion would be used for his benefit and he would provide for me what we need. I get it's hard, but I'm telling you right now, nothing that changes your heart is. The reason that generosity matters to God is because it's about our hearts. It is a matter of our hearts, and he wants our hearts for many reasons. I love this just simple definition of generous. If you you type in generous in Google, this is what you get. To be generous is a person showing a readiness to give more of something as money or time than is strictly necessary or expected. 
It is clear in Scripture that generosity begins and ends with God, and his people are generous people. And the reason it matters so much to him is our hearts affect our eyes and our ears. What we see and what we hear are seen and heard differently with a heart of generosity. With a heart of generosity, we see God is the giver, and all that we have is truly his. The houses we live in, the food we eat, the water we drink, the clothes we wear, and all of the safety and comfort we enjoy, they all come from the Father. And as Moses said in our reading today, take care lest you forget that. And don't forget the same God that has been generous to you on earth has been generous to you in heaven. He has delivered you and me, his people. God continues his work of salvation. He continues his deliverance in history, and he includes you and me and our children in it. The beginning of this true salvation story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's where the ministry began of Jesus Christ. So when I am remembering, painfully, the hunger of my belly that weakened me when I was at my worst, the pressure to feed my family, the pressure to work harder, the pressure to have more, I remember that Jesus Christ went 40 days in the wilderness, and he knows my hunger, and he knows my strength. He knows my temptation, but for me, he didn't succumb to it. His response to Satan says it all from Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And if he went on, it would be, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I remember when I fail, when I fall to the temptation of this world to put money or anything else before God and the worship and service of him, I remember Jesus didn't fail for me and for you. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is Jesus quoting Deuteronomy from our reading today. And when I force my will on God or when I question his plan in my life, when I call his goodness into question, I remember Jesus didn't ever stop trusting God even to the point of death and he did that for me and for you. You see, like love, we are generous because God was generous to us first. Throughout the entirety of human history, God has been so generous. His generosity will put, was put on full display in the ministry, life, and death of Jesus Christ. Looking at the def definition of what it means to be generous, because we on our own aren't always ready, Jesus Christ was ready to be generous. He was ready to give more than is strictly necessary or expected. In fact, he gave it all. And that is the definition of generous. And now he has made you and he has ma made me the receivers of that gift, of that good news. And we're the stewards and the caretakers of gifts we don't deserve and we didn't earn, just for like the Israelites. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has captured our hearts and our minds and he continues to be generous to and through us, his people. I can't wait to see what he has in store for us next as he transforms us through the hearing of his word and receiving his generous gifts, the water of holy baptism and the words of forgiveness and the absolution and his very body and blood that we received at his Lord's table. This is how God is generous to 
and through his people. Amen.